I think one of the ways that I've found has kept me sane over the long term is to not try to do it all yourself, right? That's a big mistake I see lots of people hold on to for too long. In the beginning, I get the need to feel that you need to do every tiny piece, but there's ways to get help. Like I have um, team assistants who help me repurpose the content and who help me you know, distribute the content after the live stream's over. For me to make it sustainable, I think, get help. You're listening to Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast, your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. Although content creation is not the principal focus of e-commerce, it is right up there as a crucial pillar for many in the industry. My guest today, Sarah Nguyen, shares her expertise on content creation and the importance of putting your energy into the most efficient form there is, which, as of this episode, is live streaming, something we've delved into as well not too long ago. It's a format that couldn't be more entry-level friendly. You could do it today on your phone, if, of course, you have a listen and understand what to do. Sarah Nguyen, it is good to have you here on Ecomonics. How are you doing today? How are you feeling? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Excited to have you on, especially at this particular point in time as we're recording, because our company is like getting our gears in motion to move into live streaming content. And that's what uh, we'll be talking to you about today. So yeah, let's, uh, let's jump right into that. So the opening question is always, well, not just this podcast, basically every podcast imaginable is who you are and what do you do? Sure. Um, so my name is Sarah Nguyen, and I guess I consider myself a content creator and a course creator. And at the moment, my love is social media, social media video, live streaming, all things video. Um, I've been in the digital space for over 10 years now, and I fell in love with live streaming because I really loved the fact that social media in general gave small businesses the opportunity to mark themselves, to be able to reach a bigger audiences. But Livestream added like another layer to that where businesses can not only put themselves out there, but they can leverage video to really showcase who they are, differentiate themselves, you know, showcase personality. And that to me is such a beautiful thing. And hence why I'm such a big advocate of it, because the barrier to entry to live streaming now is, is lower than ever before. Like before, like 15 years ago, if you wanted to live stream, it was ridiculously expensive and no one could do it. Now you can live stream with your phone. You know, most people have a phone these days. So I absolutely love live streaming and advocate it as a tool for small business. And yeah, so that's kind of me. And you say that it was, uh, it was, it, it was cost prohibitive uh, back then. Also, I don't remember the video quality being particularly good. Like if, if you're lucky, it was like 420p or even 720p. That's right, right. I remember when Facebook Live started slowly rolling out to like creators and people with the blue tick and it was only mobile at that time as well. It wasn't great, right? And it was very pixelated. But now like you can live stream in high def um, on YouTube. You can, you know, definitely live stream um, and it pushes it out in 4K. So you get like beautiful imagery now. Um something that you couldn't do before and you allow kind of people to see you and you couldn't do that 15 years ago. So I absolutely love that. And the ability to tell your story and to showcase you know, that part of who you are. Yeah. I, I do try to, at this point, I do try my best not to like make a COVID reference 
unfortunately, I'm going to have to do it because it is relevant here, is that with supply and demand principles being what they are, there is a huge demand for human connection. And in order to supply that, because not we can't physically see each other in person all that much, is to do uh, live video content. Uh, personally, I'm like, I kind of go out of my way to avoid Zoom calls if they're a substitute for something that we otherwise would have done in person, like like Zoom call, like dance parties, stuff like that. I don't know. I, I get my tinfoil hat like uh, peaks up and I get kind of like, oh, this is a little Orwellian for me. But but live streaming is a natural fit. And it's you, you put it excellently uh, on your YouTube channel because, of course, I always check out content so much so that you were making the point while you were saying the point. And the point was live streaming is some of the most, if not the most efficient content that a, that a creator can make. So why is that? So for me, particularly with COVID last year, like most people, um, there was a lot going on. You know, there was massive changes that no one expected. And for me as a creator and as a business, I still wanted to produce content. But the time it takes to, you know, release a video that you record, that you edit, that you upload, is like four times the amount of time that it takes you to prepare for a live stream, hit record, and then the video is done once you've finished the live stream. So for me, I like the efficiency of live streaming and being able to just allow you to produce content without having to worry about the, the time to edit. And I, I talked about on my channel a little bit where I said, if it wasn't for live streaming, I probably wouldn't have put out content for you know the first six months of COVID because like everyone else, I was just trying to cope with everything that was happening. So that's why I really love live streaming because it's so efficient. And the second thing, it's raw, right? So you get to see people imperfect. You get to see, you know, um, things go wrong and how people handle it. And at first I thought, is that a bad thing? Is Are people going to judge me for that. But if anything, I think it builds more connection because people are like, ah, oh, that was funny. Or oh, I saw that happen. And you know, they just roll with it. So that's why I really love live streaming. And I think it's made a big impact in terms of allowing people to keep connecting and to show more of themselves, particularly at a time when people, you know, aren't able to see each other physically. So it's allowed for us to keep that connection open. Yeah. Uh, you know, we weren't, um, <laughs> we weren't live recording this. And uh, to this day, we haven't uh, live recorded an episode of Ecomonics, but like my apartment uh, will occasionally do this flash where it goes like, and then 10 minutes will go by and then say, I'm sorry, that was a false alarm. That was a false alarm. That was a test. And we both succeed, succeeded and failed at the same time. And uh, and I remember the guest was at Kurt Proser and like three interruptions into the episode. And he's like, you know what? We should just keep this. This is hilarious. I'm like, all right, if you're fine with it, I'm fine with it. So you're right. It it does give us a chance to uh, humanize ourselves, even if we don't it, like intuit or we don't ask to have these uh, do these things happen. In fact, oftentimes we prefer they don't. They are blessings and they are gifts and they and, and they can have a unique moment with the audience and then connect them and endear them in a way that you know reminds me it reminds me a lot of like live shows going to outdoor yes. live performance and if uh, i knew i was watching something that was uh repetition to the performers if they were presenting material they've already done there are so many things that can happen in the moment that that's where that connection comes in feeling that you were a part of something special in that particular night or in this case on that particular stream and I think like, you know, sometimes when things go wrong, like, you know, something flickers or you make a mistake, which always happens. Like you sit and you're like, oh, that's not supposed to happen. And instead of like denying it, I think just owning it going, oh, that wasn't meant to happen. Or wow, that uh, was not how I expected it. You know, people tend to kind of love that candidness and 
it really does allow you to connect more with people as opposed to pretending it didn't happen. It's like, no, I, you know, that happened. They know that happened. So just kind of, you know, own it and play with it. So that's how I kind of approach it. And it also takes the pressure off because live streaming is just one of those things where things randomly go wrong. Like software updates cause glitches, you know, internet connectivity causes problems. Like the, the streaming providers, whether it's, you know, from YouTube or the software itself, things go wrong all the time and just to expect it. Right. And just to roll with it. Of course, it gets to a point where, you know, sometimes it's like, this is not usable, but I found like those cases were probably maybe one in 50, if that compared to when it's just little glitches that you just rolled on. Can you by any chance hit us with an example of like a specific time where uh, something went hilariously wrong, but turned out to be better for in the long run? Lots of times, lots of times. Um, um, I use lots of software for live streaming. I just like to be across the different software providers. And with uh, my live streams, I like to add overlays. I like to add, you know, um, animated overlays and text. And a lot of the times, like, Sometimes I'll just make a mistake whether I add the wrong um, overlay or I'll add an old one or some one goes missing. And I think there was one time I accidentally hit an overlay and then it had like this glitter animation and I was like talking about something relatively serious and it was like, okay, glitter bomb just went off in the middle of the live stream. Um, okay, we'll just keep rolling with that. And it was fine. Like people thought it was hilarious and it was. At the moment it was like, uh, okay. Um, yeah. So, it, you know, it just adds that little bit of personality. And if anything, you can, you, you, if you really want to, you could probably cut it out, you know, at the afterwards, because, you know, the live stream typically is saved as a recording. So it's not the, it's not the end of the world. You can always remove a live stream if you're that unhappy with it. So I think, yeah, it's always just not as bad as you think it will be in your head. Yeah. I mean, that, that particular one is just funny too, because the contrast of like this, uh, this, I, I don't know what the subject was, but obviously something more serious than glitter, uh, just punctuated by this all of a sudden uh, glitter explosion. That that that's one of those comedy gifts you hear about, where like something really funny exactly. like that just happens, and it's and it's a divine favor. It's like this is this is funny. We we gave you that one. All right, so here's what we're gonna do. I got a ton of like some some, some guide questions, uh, some advice, some insight questions. Bearing in mind, of course, that what we're gonna accomplish in an hour is. Uh, nothing compared to what somebody could accomplish if they go onto your YouTube and they and they check out your content and they take their time. So with all that in mind, it's just important that we understand what we're going to accomplish today. So number one, minimum requirements to stream. Uh, so I, I made up this term, I've been using it for about three weeks now, and I, I, and I think it sticks. It's called your bedrock. And it's like your rock bottom, but positive. So what would be the bedrock for a stream that is you know, like acceptable and that people are, don't, they don't feel like they're doing you a favor by, by watching. And obviously we can get into the content side of it. Uh, Cause I realized that everything I just said is content related, but I was thinking specifically about gear and resolution and, and software and what you recommend for people uh, getting started, getting their feet wet. I think if you're considering live streaming, um, I always say like everyone gets really caught up in gear and I get it because gear's really seductive, right? Where you see these photos of everyone's setups and they've got thousands of dollars worth of equipment, but you don't need that to get started because, you know, there's also a reality that you may hate it and it may not suit you as well. So I always recommend people to get started with what they have and a mobile device is what most people have that day. And, you know, there is a caveat, the mobile device does 
does need to have ideally a camera and an internet connection. So a 51 Nokia 5110 is not going to cut it. So it needs to be like a smartphone typically so that you can start live streaming from. And typically if you want to live stream to Facebook natively or to YouTube natively, you can do that from um, your mobile device, but software providers such as Restream and such as StreamYard also allow you to use their software to live stream from a mobile device as well. So that's definitely the minimum, you know, to get started. I see lots of people invest in high-end cameras because everyone wants 4K, everyone wants high def, but I think get started with um, a mobile device because you've, you've already got it. And then you can just turn on the camera and start to get used to the feel of being live, right? And to see how you handle it and how you can improve on it. So that's probably like the lowest, like minimum to get started, use your mobile device to get started with. Um, typically I see the progression is that people start with a mobile device, um, you know, in terms of microphones, getting an external microphone helps as well because you're, you know, it's not too bad these days with the microphone on a mobile, but you can always do a little bit better, whether it's, you know, just getting the headphone that comes with your mobile device or getting an external mic, they can be quite cheap as well. The next progression I see people typically do is they'll progress onto a webcam and the quality of video from webcams these days is pretty good as well. So that's another, you know, not that expensive. You can still get good quality video to progress your live streaming journey. And then typically what I see after that is people will then progress to a, you know, a DSLR or mirrorless camera in terms of, their live streaming journey. That's what I typically see. Um, I, you know, I don't believe you have to have a high-end camera to start live streaming and I don't recommend people do that. Um, it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's high risk, right? You're spending a lot of money for something that you may not like. Progress, progress, definitely, you know, progress and see how you enjoy the journey. So that's probably the journey in terms of cameras. Microphones, we could probably talk for a long time about microphones, like so many microphones. Um, to be honest, I think at the end of the day, having an external microphone is better than not having one. And people obsess about microphones because they're also very seductive. But I think, you know, the best one that you've got is the best one that you can afford. So that's the advice that I have there. Well, I, I think it, it goes a long way too, just to have a microphone, even if it's hanging, um, dangling from a the headphones, you know, you only get so much fidelity out of it, but it's it, what it makes it up for is it's, it's positioning because it's so close to the person's voice. It picks up a lot of uh, our core raw information and it doesn't have to pick up too much else afterwards. Microphones are a nightmare to position. Like I, I've got a, a Zoom H2N, which is actually known more for being like a portable recorder, um, but I've had it for a number of years and it's never steered me wrong, um, but it's like oversensitive. So it, it records very honestly, uh, which can be a detriment sometimes versus like recording into say like a cardioid microphone or somewhere where there's a sweet spot and it kind of knows what the uh, what the broadcaster has to do. Actually, I'll, I'm going to do a fun behind the scenes because there's really no better time to do this. But for those of you uh, who are on the video, so th my setup right now is leaning heavily into creativity. Like I use, <laughs> I use wall hooks and then I have bullpens holding up my blue screen. To, to keep the shadow from having behind. So I have a ring light that I have attached to a camera tripod. So th this, by the way, like last week's recordings, all the people might be able to see me like fidgeting to try to like get my, my light position properly, uh, just to kind of like keep the light even. So it's, it, 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 it's, what I like about my method is that it's insane and I enjoy that, but also because I'm just focused on getting results. 
And I, and I think the more we limit ourselves at first, the more we test our creativity and see what we can pull off. Because um, I, I think you make a great point about like if people end up investing into the expensive gear, even if they haven't built up the, the, the muscle memory or it's not part of their routine, what ends up happening is a number of things. One of them is that they suddenly may, they might have this feeling of superiority where all of a sudden now they have the gear to make all this high quality content that all of a sudden they're going to make high quality content. And I will say it does raise their bedrock because I mean, if they sound abysmal and they're on abysmal gear, but then they're abysmal, but they're on good gear, it does raise the, 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 the low end somewhat. It reminds me of like if somebody gets into a guitar and, uh, and they end up buying the most expensive guitar at the music store and then they come home and they're like, ah, geez, this was a mistake. Definitely, definitely. And I, see, and I see it all the time, particularly in like the Facebook groups where it's like, oh, wow, I can see at least $5,000 worth of gear. I hope you're live streaming every day. <laughs> like, I hope that you are really making the most of that. So, yeah. Uh, and and I, I think, I don't remember if it was you or if it was uh, another guest we had earlier today, just about like uh, comparing and contrasting just to see what other people are, are up to. Uh, I mean, it is like a pretty generalized subject anyways but I, I will admit that like i've having talked to other people so far with their videos on and like some people are on like their 4k cameras or the dslrs and i'm on my 720p webcam i'm like i am such a peasant i don't think it matters as much as people think it does right i think um yes it's great to have high def video but if the content isn't engaging and the, if the content isn't valuable people will switch off right so i just think 100%. um it doesn't matter as much as people think. It's a nice to have. It really is a nice to have. And there are lots of live streamers out there who do a phenomenal job who just use their mobile devices, right? And that's as good as someone with a high-end camera who has crappy content. So I think, you know, you need to let the content lead and focus on that more than obsessing over the gear or, or even worse, getting the gear and not doing it because, um, you, you you want to keep upgrading because it's going to be an endless battle, right? There's going to be more cameras that constantly come out, more mics that come out, and it's about just running with what you have. All right, so one more, one more question about gear, um, which is what gear you're using right now. Okay, so um, camera-wise, I had some technical issues. So we're just using my IMAX webcam at the moment. In terms of microphone, because I think sound is very important, we, we're using the Shure SM7B and that's plugged into um, my Rodecaster Pro as the um, the mixer into my computer. And I've just got, uh, you know, my Mac headphones so that we don't get any um, replays. So that, that's what we're doing today. So as I said, for me, it was like, okay, the camera is not my usual one, but we had issues and it was, it was more important to run for me to run with the interview than to be like, oh, okay, um, we won't do it today. So, you know, I think this is another proof to the point that it's more important to use what you've got and to put something out that you can accept and be okay with than to not do it at all because it's not perfect. And it's never going to be perfect. It will never be perfect. Yeah, I, 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 I'm glad I asked that because I'm, I'm looking at your video quality and I'm thinking, hold on a second, Zoom just <laughs> like... Did we just go back down to basic or We're do just I just like, I don't know, know what 4K Zoom. looks like? <laughs> We're just going to blame Zoom right now. <laughs> All right. Fair, fair, fair enough. As we've established, what's truly more important than than gear, not the gear doesn't pull its weight, it does, is the content. And and leading with the content is is major insight too. Because I think the 
our, our, our job is to supply the content. And then as the, our demand increases, then, you know, we, we, we transition into gear that is now more worthy of the work that we do. So that's all well and good. Um, but when it comes to uh, preparing content, I'd like to hear about your, well, for one, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I can only see so much content uh, in getting ready, but I don't actually know what it is you do on your live streams. So that would be a good place to start. So how much preparation do you generally do before your live streams? And then how much preparation actually comes with you into it? Because I imagine that a lot of times, a lot of things just happen organically. And next thing you know, a lot of that prep is backlogged for like the next episode. So it really depends on the topic. And I think um, because I do live stream to YouTube, um, I'm very focused on creating content where that there's actual traffic and demand for. So before I even, you know, um, turn on the camera, I'm doing keyword research to validate that the topic that I'm talking about is something that people actually want to hear about because um, I want the the video to do well um, and be evergreen content that will continue to perform. So that's the first thing I always do. I'm always, you know, validating the topics or looking for topics using keyword research to see there's actually some search behind that. And I think with that, people are like, how do you come up with ideas? I'm like, I never run out of ideas because the data tells me like there's so many different topics. So that's how I always start with a topic. In terms of structure, I do have structures. So it depends on whether it's a tutorial or whether it's, you know, a quick tips video, but I have structures that I've kind of just developed over time where I can, where I know that this is the introduction that I'll have. This is how I format, you know, the lead into the content. This is how I structure the content and this is how I'll end it. And I have these frameworks kind of as templates because um, it will be it's easier for me to go, all right, this is a tutorial. I'll pull out the tutorial template and I'll just do bullet points so that I know what I'm talking about. One, it helps me stay organized and keep all the thoughts there because there's a lot going on during a live stream. You know, you're delivering content, you're watching the feed, um, you know, you're making sure that everything, all of your systems are behaving. And so just having that that template with that structure helps me get through everything. And sometimes I miss things and that's okay. But without that template, I'd probably like miss like 70% of what I intended to do. So that's probably the next part that I have. I have templates and structures for the video that I'll present. In terms of, you know, do I run through it before I actually go live? For the most part, no. Um, I'll practice it if it's like a tutorial and it's something that I'm new so that I know what's what to expect and what will happen. But I do let a lot of it happen organically. And that's what I love about live streaming, right? Like it doesn't take copious um, goes. It doesn't take this copious amount of time because you let it be organic. And, you know, it does take a little bit of prep, but I think you can get into that system and into that rhythm that will help you put out content efficiently because you've got the mechanism of live streaming. And I would think as well, along the same through line as um, upgrading gear as is necessitated, uh, is also upgrading systems as is necessitated. Because I think it's the same thing. Like if I like over plan, and I come up with this elaborate breakdown about how this is all going to work. And then I actually live stream and then, well, it, I, I put more time like trying to adhere to the system than actually letting things uh, unfold. So it sounds like ideally it's the same thing is like as time goes on and we identify what we're doing and how we can systemize it, the system becomes more known and becomes more structured as we continue, uh, as we continue on. I think so. And I think like it becomes an important thing. I think there's this misconception that people have of live streaming where it's like, oh, just turn on the camera and take questions from the audience or just turn on the camera and start talking. And it's like, well, you can do that, but I don't think that makes a really great 
live stream, like there's no purpose to it. There's nothing, you know, specific for the audience to get out of that. So having these systems and structures ensures that you deliver value on your content. And that's at the end of the day, what will help your video perform really well. Yeah. Like I have seen like some, I've seen live streams cause I'm, I'm pretty frequently on YouTube. I've seen live streams that are based on the sense of something that happens in the news where yes. like a story is unfolding. And so if somebody normally covers this kind of thing, they will turn a live stream on right away just so that there is somewhere for everybody who's constantly like, who's thinking about it to all congregate, start collecting information uh, that way. And, and it, it does turn into almost a collaborative effort where now chat is pulling up resources that the host isn't pulling up and he's reading the links and stuff like that, um, which I think transitions pretty eloquently, not that I need to pat myself on the back about it, but into interacting with the audience. You have interacting with the audience prior to the live stream, which is more the promotional side, and we'll get to that. But I want to hear your experience about interacting with chat in in the moment on the live stream and, you know, some basic do's and don'ts and maybe some some instances of where like something really revolutionary happened in chat or like something that really stuck with you that like actually influenced the content or, you know, stuff, stuff that sticks with you based on what happens in chat, basically. Okay. So I think when it comes to chat uh, or live streaming, um, if you do want to engage with people and not everyone does, if you do want to engage with people live on the chat, there's a couple of ways that you can do about it. If you're really new to live streaming and you're a bit worried whether anyone will show up at all, um, you know, you have the option that I found works really well where you can um, ask for questions before the live stream. So, you know, create a Google form. If people want to submit a question but can't make it to the live stream, you've still got a bank of questions that you have um, in case people are either quiet on the chat or um, they don't show up because that's a possibility when you start live streaming. There's, there's, there's a possibility that there won't be a lot of people there. Um, so, you know, you can gather questions beforehand that you can address in the actual live stream in terms of chat that way. In terms of addressing questions in the chat, I find it becomes really helpful when you leverage third-party software, the likes of, you know, Ecamm, the likes of um, StreamYard and Restream, where they allow you to display the chat comments on the screen. So for me, when I'm interacting with people and that there's a good question, that becomes part of the live stream and that viewer becomes part of the live stream because I can display their actual chat on the screen. And that's, that's a really nice touch, right? It's a simple thing that most of the live streaming software providers um, have that makes both the content good and the viewer feel really good as well. It's like, oh, they picked up my question and they answered it or they gave me a shout out. You know, that creates really good engagement as well. And I find when you do that, other people kind of go like, oh, she's featuring um, questions. I'm going to ask a question too. And that prompts them to ask questions. So I think like those are some of the tips that I've found help in terms of getting chat engagement and in terms of leveraging chat engagement. I'm a bit careful on the chat because it is the internet and the public. So, you know, I know some people have a live chat feed just display on their screen of everything that goes through. And I personally don't do that because you don't really know what you're going to get with the chat comments sometimes. Um, and I find it a little bit unpredictable for the most part, people are well-behaved, but it's the one in 50 that you're like, hey, that wasn't appropriate. <laughs> I prefer that to not be on screen and now I can't edit it. So there's, there's that, you know, but it's always a choice that you have. And what else? Um, I also find that if you are going to have, you know, chat that you want to leverage, having chat moderators makes a big difference. 
I think it comes back to most people are well-behaved, but there are just some strange people who come and they troll the chat. They troll you, they troll the viewers. So having someone on your side who can moderate the chat, who can ban those people who misbehave, who can block them, makes a big difference for the experience for you and for the people on the chat as well. I, As you're telling this to me, I just remembered when I had gotten into Fortnite for about six months, uh, kind of a, I am, I am a nerd and I am not ashamed of that. Um, and I'm also not ashamed of playing Fortnite. Good game. Not not a fan of the way they kept updating it. Anyways, so I would I would watch uh, Twitch streams as well when I'm not playing, just because I like continuing to watch the gameplay, see if I can pick up uh, tips and, and tactics and stuff like that. And this one thing stuck out to me, and I just wanted to get your take on it. And maybe if you've seen like any equivalent, maybe not necessarily with yourself, but just like in your in your verse, which is that basically what would happen is the streamer would get paid money to do some of the dances. Uh, so he'd be in the middle of a game and then one of his audience members would, I don't really know how else to say it, would pay, would do the reward system. Uh, he'd get the notification. Then he stands up and he starts doing uh, the dance like that. And I just thought, well, you know, you never know. He's, gonna be, he's got a kid of his own to take care of. And sooner or later, that kid's also going to be on Fortnite. But the point is, is that there is there are limitations to how far you can let the audience in and putting yeah. up those barriers. And so handling that. So that's what I wanted to hear about is like your take on how you've been able to handle, uh, or actually if you've got situations like that, where you've seen some people who let the chat, like get a little bit too far, get a little bit too much control over them. Um, I haven't seen that so much. I do find what I've seen is that, um, you know, with super chats where people pay, you know, donate money during the live stream, a lot of creators would do a trick during that time. If someone does a super chat, they'll do something funny or fancy or tell a joke or, you know, play a song or something like that. So I see like um, in terms of leveraging engagement that way I haven't seen anything ridiculous and you know offensive so far so I'm very interested to hear um that that's been an experience that you've seen I find gamers are a little bit different the gaming chat feeds that I've seen are a little bit different to typical YouTube live streams and stuff like that but yeah, yeah no yeah. I haven't necessarily <laughs> seen things go out of hand on like a YouTube live streams yet yet so you know not ruling it out but I haven't seen it yet yeah the gaming community is a whole other uh situation I'll, I'll tell you one other story and then I'll move on where um there's this one prominent uh member of the Smash community called hungry box and he's holding up like a, a, a pizza i think it was a domino's pizza and and he leans a little bit too forward and the pizza slides right off the box and and i bring this up because before then chat was just like they were constantly going 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 going, going, going. he's got a lot of people he drops the pizza and there was silence for like a whole two seconds which on which on in, on twitch time is an eternity that to me was one of the most beautiful things i'd ever seen like everybody was actually like and then the chat just goes <laughs> off. So that that sticks out. That I, that I remember, just like oh man, he, he clipped. He put it onto YouTube. It's uh, that's how I see it. I wasn't there live in the moment, but like stuff like that is just so it's just so memorable. And all he did was like just just he just wanted to eat a pizza. Yeah, I was hungry. All right. So next thing I want to ask about is content creation is a pretty consistent workload. And as yes. I can I, I as I can speak to this too, I'm, I'm a routine content creator myself. Um, what I'd like to hear about is, uh, you know, your energy and your and keeping your mindset healthy. I saw this picture and I don't want to like, I can't go too like too detailed into the picture because it is a, you know, kind of a mean internet meme, but, uh, it did compare and contrast somebody who is like a content creator as a, as a job, as a profession, 
um, versus somebody who has a profession outside of content creation and then just makes content for the fun of it. And I felt like I was kind of in the middle because some people obviously they have to like sustain themselves this way, but they don't work for a company. And so no one is like signing their paychecks. Whereas I have that luxury of pays coming in. So that, that helps out a lot. But even so I can, I can see like there's weeks where I'm like, okay, man, I'm really kind of like, you know, starting to get a little, uh, get a weary here. Oh, hoping, hoping I'll have some time off. Um, so I want, I want to hear about your experience in this, in this field and how like you've, um, you've dealt with your energy levels and mindset and keeping burnout at bay. So that's, that's an interesting one. I think when it comes to content, um, it can feel like the never ending story. Like it just keeps going and going and going because part of the challenge is continually putting out content that's relevant, that, you know, um, is up to date. There's that ongoing thing. I think one of the ways that I found has kept me sane over the long term is to not try to do it all yourself, right? That's a big mistake I see lots of people hold on to for too long. In the beginning, I get the need to feel that you need to do every tiny piece, but there's ways to get help. Like I have um, team assistants who help me repurpose the content and who help me, you know, distribute the content after the live streams over. If I, I remember when I was doing it all myself, I'm, I was like, I'm spending like so many hours, like not only creating and preparing for the content, but then releasing it afterwards, I'm exhausted by the time it comes to the next one. So for me to make it sustainable, I think get help. You know, there's lots of people out there, you know, you can get virtual assistants to help you. And that just takes the workload off. And for the five, 10 hours that they do to help me repurpose, I can spend that preparing new content. And that helps with that burnout. And it's not as expensive as people think. There's like lots of different ways to get um, help. You know, you can do it lots of creative ways. You can, you know, bribe and negotiate with students who are looking for work. And there's also platforms like Fiverr and there's also platforms like online jobs like that where people are you know looking for work and it's quite affordable for the most part yeah we we uh the word va comes up uh, quite a bit because uh, you know a lot of people in the drop shipping space are looking for somebody to assist them and uh and take care of these things i've always said that it is good to try to do as much as we can on our own at least at first so we can learn how this works and then that way when we entrust that job to somebody else we have a frame of reference for whether or not they're you know, holding out their end of the bargain, or if we're ha- we have to take them out at their word. Um, so that element I think is important, but I think overall, yeah, I I'd say when it gets to the point where that content has to come in that quickly or that efficiently and so and be that good, then yeah, you, you do need some help. I, 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 I'm getting help. I'm being helped. So I'm, so I can definitely speak to that. So one thing I want to uh, circle back to, by the way, uh, which is about um, the promotional side of it, because I talked about interacting with the audience once they're there. Um, but I also wanted to get your take on what you're doing to, let the audience know about these. Uh, I suppose it's a different thing because if you want people to be there for live, then it's a, it's a window of time. So like how you make sure that, you know, your audience sees that and um, sending emails, Twitter, how you, how you go about that. I think there's lots of ways to do it. Um, I'm probably a little on the overwhelmed and inconsistent side in terms of letting people know when I'll actually be live. Um, I do for the most part try to, um, set up the live stream a week in advance. I think that's a good time for people to kind of see whether or not they'll be available on that day. And for me, what works really well is, you know, you've got tools like Restream that 
create that placeholder video so that people can see that you will go live this week on Sunday or you will go live this week on um, Saturday on YouTube or this week on Saturday on Facebook. That makes a big difference, like just having these little events that um, people can see in advance when you'll go live. Um, Having it on your channel, this is a big mistake I see a lot of creators miss. Um, On your actual YouTube channel, you can um, structure the playlist so that your upcoming live streams are on your page. And um, a lot of people don't have that. And they're like, oh, you know, come up, you know, they they say come along to the live stream. And it's like, where is it? I can't see it. But having it visible on your channel is like a a simple thing. And people can, you know, drop by and see when that will actually happen, actually happen. And then there's like the, you know, organic promoting it on your socials, promoting on Instagram that you'll be live on a certain day and letting people know, promoting it on your Facebook page, those things as well. But I find leveraging the tools within the software providers is a good way of letting people know and getting people on the live stream as well. All right, so let me let me just make sure that I, I just recap everything. Um, we, we've definitely talked about... Uh, you know, the audience, uh, pre and post, we've talked about gear. We don't want to get too much into it because the whole point is, you know, you, you make your way, uh, content preparation. And I, and I definitely think that's a really good basis and a good foundation, a bedrock, if, if I may, of uh, what to keep in mind. And again, again, I always encourage our audience to check out the guest content, uh, at their, at their leisure and their discretion. So with that said, I, I also have to, want to ask you some stuff too, just about, you know, your own experience getting into this, because I, I believe that like you were more of a backend uh, person primarily, but I, I, I don't have all of like the, the milestones together. I understand, like, I think you were doing social media management. Is that right? Yeah. So the story was, um, going back in time. So I, I've really, I've always been in digital. I've always worked on websites. I've always worked on social media. I've always been in that content space. And, um, I remember I was working for a, an influencer and she, this was quite a, a long time ago and she was massive. She was massive for her space as well, let alone it being that early in time. And I was doing a lot of the behind the scenes where, it was back in the Google Hangout days when they still had Google Hangouts and I'd moderate Google Hangout and manage it for her so that she could just focus on the content. And I remember just thinking to myself, you know, wow, this is really powerful. Like, you know, her, she had a big audience. She had this um, means to communicate with them. And it kind of, the penny just dropped at that moment of, this is a great tool that anyone could use it, regardless if they had an audience or not, because they could use it to build an audience. And it was in that moment that I was like, if she can do it and she's, you know, didn't come from the industry that she was in now, then why couldn't I do it as well? So that kind of made me switch from being behind the camera and behind the scenes and producing to actually being in front of the camera going, I think I want to give this a go. So that's kind of how it evolved for me. Um, And I'm glad that, you know, I took that journey because I I got experience behind the scenes of what it's like for someone who's done really well for a long time and then to start from scratch. So I got to see, you know, um, the, the, the tricks of the trade. And I also got to see that although you have these people with these massive audiences, um, they're not that different to you as a, as a new starter, right? They have the same insecurities. You know, they're worried that they'll get trolled as well. They create content the same way that you create content. They've just been at it a little bit longer. So that I think has kind of been my journey where I started behind the scenes, helping other people. And then I was like, I want to do this too. And I, you know, 
took the leap of faith and did it. And you and you say that you've been in the digital space pretty much the whole time. So like, yes, uh, even some of the er, er, or some of your earliest experiences getting into work, it pretty much uh, you just got into the digital because usually I mean, that's not usually, but I do have quite a variance in experiences. I've had people who are like not very tech literate at all. They they got into it. We've had people who thought they were going to go to school for chemistry, and then next thing I know, they're they're proficient at affiliate marketing. Um, so that I find interesting. Did you have a vision for like where you would be right now if you didn't, uh, if you didn't take this path and uh, really, I guess, pivot into being the, a live stream and content creator? Oh man, that's an interesting one. I, I um, you know, I actually have a background where I worked in advertising. Okay, so right I, uh, so I think I didn't enjoy the advertising space. Um, it is exhausting. <laughs> like for me, it just wasn't aligned with my personality. It was long hours, very crappy pay back in that day anyway, um, particularly at, at the junior level. And I just couldn't see myself doing it forever and being just, yeah, an advertising person. So for me, like I progressed from being in advertising and marketing um, to going on to digital, which, you know, isn't the f- most foreign leap that people can make. There's, you know, a progressive leap. And I'm, and I'm glad that I did because um, I think if I was to have stayed in that advertising path, um, I would have been pretty burnt out. I would have been pretty burnt out. And I find a lot of joy in digital, just, you know, how dynamic it is and just how, low the barrier to entry that it allows for everyone to have a chance. And that's what I really love about this space. Yeah. Uh, so actually, two, so two points I want to uh, address there. One of them actually just about the advertising is, is were you, were you in creative or were you uh, also doing back end work there? Um, I was doing creative work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I, I just, I have to admit when my earlier twenties, back when Mad Men was on TV, I found the concept of being a creative in an advertising agency, very, appealing the infidelity not so much not, not a fan of that part but <laughs> the idea of being able to observe the world in a certain way and then convey those ideas into something that can turn into a message and then that message is spread out and while you're at it sell people a bowl of cereal i i do want to hear more about your experience in that field just because it's something that i wanted to do in the past but i'm not exactly sure how i want to uh, frame this as a question because in actuality i have like 10 different questions all kind of like vying to get out of my brain at the same time so Tell me about what you thought or how you expected it to be compared to the, uh, the experience. And I do want to hear about how the creative process was affected based on like, you know, your deadlines and um, what rules you had to follow based on the client uh, along those lines. I think in terms of my experience, like you, it's like this idea that, oh, you get to come up with creative ideas and, you know, jingles. And it, in reality, it was a lot of, um, you know, you, you got to be a part of that process, but to get from the initial idea to the end, um, commercial was usually a very long process, easily, you know, 12 months, 12, minimum 12 months, because they're taking that idea and they're testing it ferociously, particularly if it's going to go on television against lots of different focus groups. And it's constantly refining, testing, refining, testing, and a lot of revisions, right? So I think like that romantic idea that, you know, you come up with this idea, it tests really well and it goes out to market, never was the case, particularly with television. Like there was every time the test came back, it was usually really bad. And that's what they wanted. They wanted to see, you know, they wanted to make sure that if there was something that would go wrong, they'd pick it up before they spent $20 million on advertising. So I think like that, that side of it was okay, but it was exhausting. And then 
you know, in terms of the creative process, it's like, I don't really get to be creative. Um, you know, we're kind of just, you know, it's great to tweak things based on user feedback, but I didn't feel like you really got to put things out the way that you wanted it because it was so shaped by, you know, how the users responded and how, how aligned that client or that brand was to how they wanted users to react. So you didn't really get to be as creative because there was so many layers, there was so much politics behind what you could and couldn't do. So that kind of didn't allow you to be as free as you get to be in the digital space. Um, I, I really, you know, when it comes to people asking me, what do you live stream about? And I'm like, what, what can't you live stream about? Like, particularly in e-commerce, people are like, well, I have products. How do I live stream about that? And it's like, you can show you, you can show so many things you can talk about. You can talk physically about the benefits of it. You can showcase how it's used. And they're like, but all my products are the same as everyone else's. I'm like, yes, but you're not, you know, you get to show you using it. You'd get to show your experience. You'd get to show, you know, how it's impacted you. And that makes you different. And you don't, you don't get to have that in my experience in the advertising space. It's kind of so defined because it's such an old process, right? It's probably from the Mad Men, you know, period where they've got that, that rigid process that you're just kind of going through and for me burnt out all. So yeah. I, I will say one quote that I'm reminded of in Mad Men, it's not really like a quote quote, but there, there's a scene where they're all talking about the, uh, the protagonist Don Draper and uh, a former employee is like, yeah, you know, he really doesn't follow the rules. He's a genius. And the boss says, do you think that way about me? You know, go go write 10 taglines for Zit Cream. And that right there, yeah. 10 taglines <laughs> for Zit Cream, maybe think, okay, that's probably more what the job is like. It's like, yes, pretty like, much. Come, yeah. So my, my, uh, I, I'm, I don't know how many taglines I can come up with Zit Cream. I'd say like two or three, maybe. There might be like one banger, but other than that, I don't know. Uh, actually, you know, it, it, it was, it was great because I, I didn't realize I hadn't asked you about setting and background for, um, for live streaming. Obviously we don't want to like get to, we don't want to show too much. Um, but how, what thought have you, uh, put into the background and forgive me, but the background that I'm seeing right now, is that the background that you uh, generally use on your live streams? It is, but it looks a bit more like this and zoomed in. So today yeah. I was like, let's go a little bit raw. They can see a bit of the mess. I don't mind. But um, what you see is the background that I typically have for my live streams and it's a lot more zoomed in. So you won't necessarily see all the mess on the floor and the sewing machines and all of that. So um, for me, I, I am fortunate that I have the space to be able to, you know, decorate a wall and paint a wall and um, put, you know, shelving on the wall with, bits of personality. And that was the whole point of when I decided to go down this path of, you know, I want to have a solid wall. I want to show parts of my personality. I'm a Star Wars fan. I'm a Wonder Woman fan. I like the movie regardless of the fact that it got slammed. And, you know, I, that, that's what I, that's what I choose. I was that Wonder Woman or Star Wars? <laughs> both, both, yeah. right. It's like, yeah. I like those movies, even though they got slammed and that's okay. So, um, I think in terms of backgrounds for me, it's about, okay, this is part of who I am. And this is what I want to show people about who I am. If it, if people are so offended by the fact that I like Star Wars and Wonder Woman, um, and they get turned away, so be it. You know, you probably weren't meant to be part of my tribe if I offended you that much just from the elements of my background. Well, then you have Star Wars fans who are also offended within Star Wars itself. That's a whole other debate. <laughs> That's right, right? So for me, it's a chance to show your personality. And for me, it's a chance to kind of attract the right people as well. So as I said, if you're that offended by the fact that I've got this stuff on the wall, then you're probably not meant to be part of my tribe. Very, very, very brief point, by the way, but 
just just uh, just to let this uh, out, out of my out of my system, I'm meh on the Force Awakens. I love the Last Jedi, like I like second favorite Star Wars movie. I hated Rise of Skywalker. Why? Why? I, so, I, I just I, it's it's like there were all these times where they were just trying to like pull the nostalgia string like they hand uh chewy the medal along last i'm like oh yeah he got it he got his medal yeah i just yeah i just didn't just didn't do it for me and you know what that's okay too like you know it's like some people like stuff some people don't like stuff and that's okay too <laughs> well I mean, that's, that's that's the fun of star wars is i think ever, i don't think anybody two people have the same opinion on it uh I, I, with the exception of uh the empire strikes back so if somebody doesn't like that one, I'm going to have some questions for them because I would really love to know what the Christmas card for you. <laughs> so in going through your, your YouTube content, one of the one tidbit of knowledge that I pulled out that I thought was really interesting was uh, this idea of like productive procrastination. I, I, I heard that and I thought I am definitely doing that. I've yet to identify how I'm doing that, but like I've overall got a pretty good sense of like the, the fundamental of this feeling like I'm busy technically busy but not busy in the way that's productive compared to my time so uh i've only got i'm I'm watching the clock like a hawk uh i've got you for eight minutes and i'm gonna change the wording on that because that particular wording can backfire if i stutter but anyways let the audience know about productive procrastination and why this is like keep this in mind people so the concept um, of productive procrastination is that you do all of this busy work that is filling up your time, but it's not actually helping you move forward in the business. It's not actually helping you um, do that thing that you need to do um, and it's task avoidance. So for me in the live streaming space, productive procrastination looks like constantly researching for the best quote unquote microphone. You're spending hours and hours searching for microphones, for cameras and um, buying them, but you're not actually going live. You're filling all your time searching for it, but you're not actually going live because you're filling all, all of that time. Another good one that I see all the time is that people edit their own videos and people get a bit cranky when I say this, but I'm like, I feel particularly if you are a content producer and you're putting out a lot of content and it's not your strength, um, you probably shouldn't be doing it. If it's taking you 20 hours, um, it's probably not the best use of your time when you could be spending that time preparing and producing that content and getting someone else to edit it and turn that around. You can turn it around faster than you and do a probably a better job because I'm not a great video editor and I, I, I don't edit my videos anymore. So I find like there's all these things that people do to keep themselves busy, but it's not leveraging their skills. The best, it's not the best use of their skills because they've all got an infinite amount of time. And if you choose to keep doing the busy work as opposed to that, you know, um, higher value um, work, you're not going to get there. You're not going to get to producing that live stream. You're not going to get to releasing that video because you're making excuses and you're finding ways to not do the thing that you need to do. So I think it's a trap that people fall into, particularly when it comes to gear. People are always like, yeah, I was researching that for a week. And I was like, a week? You spent like a whole week researching a microphone? Did you buy it? And it's like, oh, no, I, I think I'll decide next week. I'm like, no, like that is the definition of productive procrastination. How is that productive? It's not. You're clearly just procrastinating from doing what you need to do. So I find that um, you can typically tell if you're doing that, if the task that you're doing, you could probably pay someone, you know, $5 an hour to do, you know, or less. 
right? If you can pay someone cheaply to do it or a VA to do it, you probably shouldn't be doing it. In my view, as a business owner, you should be focusing on the high stuff that brings in um, money that produces content that builds the brand. So that's my view of productive procrastination. How are you productively procrastinating? That's I'm interested to hear. I, I have a, a journal and I'm just holding it upside down and I'm not going to go into focus because I don't want people to actually see it. But I wrote down everything that I intended to do on Sunday and I crossed off seven out of 18, 19 uh, tasks. And I think to myself, what I was, what I was doing and I was keep, this was me keeping in mind that I had already knew about productive procrastination. What I was trying to do was like go through these and say, which one of these is the most important one that I have got to do. And uh, if I if I go back through all my my history, a lot of the time I didn't do that. I would just go through whatever it is that I can get done. And my philosophy was, well, if I'm getting the momentum going, and I'm getting the reward of like, okay, this is complete. Now this is complete. Now this is complete. Instead of like going into like the hardest thing to do that day and kind of feeling like I'm going up against the wall all of a sudden. That was my methodology for it. But the, but when it comes to productivity, honestly, my philosophy has changed like on a week to week basis. The only thing that's been consistent is the fact that I've been using journals for the last seven years to at least like have a vision for what my day is going to be tomorrow and the day after. It doesn't sound to me like you're procrastinating at all sounds to me like you got heaps of stuff done seven things done like that's massive yeah yeah i mean the point there would be like okay well what are the seven things like was one of them take the laundry down compared to like uh you know finish uh, writing the uh the, exp- the 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 webinar prep so i think for me what I, I looked at that and i thought okay well if i had to score each of these out of 10 how many times did i do like the platinum stuff how many times did i do the silver stuff the bronze stuff and so on yeah uh i'm, I'm just glad i brought it up because it's if we can, if we can adjust our mindset and then we can transform our days into much more productive days. And, and again, a lot of this comes back to what we've been saying from the beginning about, um, you know, over, over focusing on gear and, uh, not getting help when you need it. And those things have come right full circle, right back to where we are now with that. Uh, I, I got you for I was I was gonna say in a different language. Couldn't pick with one. Also, one other thing I noticed, which I thought was just kind of funny, is that I thought I was the only human being on the planet who like changes my voice when I'm doing an impression of somebody else, and you you did it too. You were like, "Hey, wait a minute! I thought that I was supposed to do that." I haven't met anybody else who does that particular joke. So I just thought that was. Oh, that was funny. Oh, there you go. I do it. I do it unintentionally. Oh no, I don't. I, I think I do. I do it unintentionally, but I definitely do it. Yeah. yeah it's it's like half and half. It's like it's my go-to if I need to like impersonate somebody yelling, but I don't want to yell. So wait, wait, wait a minute. Why are they doing over there? So I think that in my la in my last live stream, the topic was you know um, what happens if you take a break from YouTube. Um, there's this misconception that, you know, you have to constantly release all the time on YouTube. And if you take a break, then everything's going to fall apart. Everyone's going to get angry with you. And I talked about my experience because I had to take a month off, um, over January because there was, you know, there was some big stuff that happened. There was a death in the family. And I talked about, um, the misconception was that your subscribers will get angry at you, you know, and in my experience, that didn't happen at all. Like there was this misconception that your, scri- your subscribers will get angry at you and they'll hate you and they'll send you like abusive messages. And I was like, no, that didn't happen at all. If anything, people were messaging me going, Hey, we haven't heard from you for a couple of weeks. Are you okay? So that's why the voice came in because I was impersonating angry subscribers who didn't, who don't exist. <laughs> so- <laughs> yeah. I mean, as you're describing that, I'm thinking, well, if they're like addicted, that could be like if people are addicted to somebody's content uh, so much so that like they actually go through withdrawal if it's not there. 
th- that gets into some of the uh, the the algorithmic issues about how YouTube can like curate somebody's experience to the point where they're just kind of like stuck and they can't get off in anything. That's a whole other subject. Um, so we're just going to like, we'll, we'll table that for another time, but I'd be happy to have you back and uh, keep any number of these threads going. So with that said, uh, in the very, very tiny bit of time I've got left, uh, our wrap-up question is Ikemonix tradition. is also tradition across the whole podcast uh, space is if you have any final words of wisdom, any parting advice you'd like to share with people, feel free. And then let the audience know how they can get in touch and check out your content. I think the parting words is that if you've been considering live streaming and video um, and you've been like, I'm not sure if I, sh- if I should, um, I'm not sure if I could, the answer is you should and you can. <laughs> That's probably my, my parting words. And I'd love to see, I, I love seeing people give it a go. And people are always really surprised with how much better they do than all the fears that they have about what will happen. So that's probably my parting words there. And um, you can find me on YouTube. I'm Sarah Nguyen and my website is Sarah Nguyen Online. Um, Thanks so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun to just, you know, talk about digital live streaming and, you know, my experience. I don't get to talk about myself for, you know, for a whole hour. So it's, it's been really great to have this chance to be on. All right, terrific. Uh, well, audience, thanks to all of you for uh, participating in this. We are always looking forward to feedback, so you know what to do. And with that, take care, and we will check in soon. Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you. So whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to Debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next.